Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to The Bigger Picture with me, Ahmad Akhtar. The three major U.S. benchmarks kicked off the start of the new trading quarter mixed on Monday after U.S. legislators were able to come to a short-term agreement that staved off a government shutdown. The Dow Jones declined by 0.2% to 33,433 points. The S&P 500, meanwhile, inched higher by 0.01% to close at 4,288 points, while the Nasdaq added 0.7% to close at 13,307 points and notch its fourth consecutive positive day. Now, the last three months were a rather forgetful period for emerging market stocks after they posted their worst quarter in a year, virtually wiping out the majority of 2023's gains thus far. On the flip side, the U.S. dollar recorded its largest quarterly gain in a year after an 11th straight weekly rally, its longest such run in nine years. Well, Vasu Menon, Managing Director for Investment Strategy at OCBC Bank, is on the line with me now to dissect these developments. Vasu, great to have you on. Good morning. How are you? Very good morning. I'm well, thank you. <laughs> Good to hear, Vasu. Now, according to an analysis of data compiled by Bloomberg, emerging market stocks lost about $688 billion in shareholder wealth in September, bringing the total loss since the end of July to $1.5 trillion. Vasu, why have investors lost confidence in this arena? And what is the outlook, in your opinion, for emerging market stocks in the fourth quarter? Well, I think there are two factors that have weighed on emerging market uh, equities, and not just emerging market equities, but emerging market currencies as well. Mm. So the first factor would be basically uh, the higher bond yields in the U.S. plus the stronger U.S. dollar. Uh, and the stronger U.S. dollar, uh, on the flip side, of course, it means that you know emerging market currencies have weakened, and that uh, reduces the appeal of emerging, market, uh, emerging markets. Plus, a weaker currency results in capital outflows. Uh, from emerging markets. Uh, and again, this is a consequence of uh, the stronger dollar and the higher bond yields in the U.S. I think the other factor that's also weird in emerging markets is the fact that uh, the Chinese economy has surprised to the downside. I mean, um, China's economic growth has been, has been weak. The economy has been ailing. The property market has been a problem. And that is another factor that's also impacted emerging markets negatively. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are the two factors that have uh, weighed in emerging markets. But you know, it doesn't mean that it's a lost cause. I think going forward, some of this could change. Now, just before we move on to the U.S. dollar, I want to touch on a World Bank report that was released yesterday. Uh, it effectively warned that developing economies in East Asia will grow at some of the lowest rates in almost half a century next year because of U.S. protectionism and the impact of rising levels of debt. The bank also downgraded its forecast for China's 2024 growth to 4.4 percent from an earlier prediction of 4.8%. Vasu, is there cause for concern given that this region is one of the world's major growth engines? I think there are reasons to be cautious. I mean, protectionism has always been there, uh, you know, for a fairly long period of time. Uh, it took on a life of its own after Donald Trump came into office. And of course, in recent times, you've seen other moves in terms of protectionism. And clearly, uh, protectionism is something that doesn't benefit uh, Asia because Asia is a very open economy. Asia thrives to some extent on trade. Of course, there are certain Asian economies that have got very, very large domestic markets. They depend less on trade. But for countries like Singapore, for example, we are very 
trade-oriented, uh, trade-dependent. And for countries like that in Asia, clearly they'll be impacted negatively by protectionism. I think, as the World Bank report highlighted as well, I mean, debt levels in, in Asia have also gone up quite a bit. Mm. Uh, because previously, the US dollar was weak, and Asian companies, uh, you know, have actually turned to US dollar uh, bonds, US, uh, USD bonds for funding. And so, again, you know, these are uh, headwinds, but uh, I think these are headwinds that will be there uh, for a fairly long period of time. They're not new. They're there. And uh, I think, you know, for investors who are taking a medium, long-term view, you know, there are still silver linings in Asia. There are still, you know, positive elements in Asia that one should not completely overlook. Mm. Now, it was a bad Q3 for emerging market stocks and currencies, as you rightly pointed out, but a great Q3 for the US dollar, which posted its biggest quarterly gain in a year. And that's as investors have priced in the likelihood of higher rates for longer and a resilient economy. Can we expect this uh, momentum for the greenback to continue into the final few months of the year, Vasu? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the dollar continues to strengthen, especially if U.S. Uh, bond yields continue to rise. Mm. And U.S. bond yields are now, the 10-year bond yields are now at a 16-year high, 4.67%. Uh, it closed last night. Mm. Um, you know, and the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar index is appreciated 7% since July of this year. So I wouldn't be surprised in the fourth quarter of this year if we see further gains for the U.S. dollar. Mm. But I think going into 2024, don't forget that, you know, if the U.S. economy slows down, Developed market economies slow down. Inflation, if it does come down, uh, then at some stage in 2024, the Federal Reserve could pivot and interest rates could even be cut, in which case the dollar will lose its uh, shine. Mm. So, yes, in the short term that we could see, uh, you know, a firmer dollar, even a stronger dollar in the fourth quarter, as you, as you mentioned. But uh, I think you don't want to get too excited because I think if you look into 2024 and 2025, uh, you know, given the uh, growth outlook, uh, yield outlook, interest rate outlook, that could, you know, result in the dollar weakening. Mm. Moving on to the yen, it eased to almost 150 per dollar yesterday, 149.83 to be precise. That's its weakest in over 11 months. And some traders believe it could trigger intervention by Japanese authorities to support the currency. At what point might authorities feel it's time to step in, Vasu? Well, you know, uh, there's no public disclosure as to when the BOJ will step in. But, you know, the market feels that 150 could be a level, you know, at which the BOJ starts stepping in, the BOJ starts becoming uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, don't forget, the Japanese yen is weakened a lot. I mean, it's uh, weakened almost 15% against the US dollar mm. uh, year-to-date. 15% in currency terms is, uh, is, fairly, is a very big, very big move. So I think, yes, of course, a weaker currency is good for Japan because it uh, encourages tourism, it helps the Japanese stock market, it helps Japanese companies with an international footprint when they translate their overseas profits back into yen terms, they get a big a boost, right? But on the other hand, for the average Japanese, a weaker yen means higher food prices, higher fuel prices, and uh, that's not the best piece of news, especially, especially when oil prices are heading higher. So I think in their cause for concern, and I wouldn't be surprised if the BOJ, you know, subtly intervenes in the market at 150, but if it goes to 155 or so, for example, you know, then you could see greater intervention. But the key thing here is the US dollar. The yen is not weakening on its own accord. It's weakening because of the US dollar, but if the US dollar continues to strengthen, and roar ahead, as we talked about earlier in the fourth quarter of this year, that's going to be a, a bit of a headache for the BOJ because that means a more aggressive intervention mm. uh, should that happen. Now, another thing trending higher is yields on 10-year Japanese government bonds. They hit as much as 0.8% almost yesterday. That's the highest since September 2013. 
The BOJ Vasu has also said it plans to conduct an unspecified amount of additional purchases of Japanese government bonds with 10 years of more than five years and up to 10 years this week itself. What is the BOJ's objective here? Well, you know, I think the BOJ is trying to make sure that, uh, you know, it maintains easy monetary policy until it's clear that inflation is firmly entrenched in Japan. Domestic inflationary pressures are firmly entrenched in Japan. Don't, don't forget, Japan has suffered several years, even decades of uh, deflation. It's only in recent times that inflation has picked up in Japan in a more significant way and appears to be on a clear upward trajectory. Uh, but I think the BOJ is not completely comfortable. You want to see uh, clearer signs that inflation is very firmly entrenched before it starts taking its foot off the pedal. And so it's not comfortable that, you know, the markets are trying to say that, look, the BOJ is going to start tightening policy, which is what's sending the 10-year yields up. So the BOJ is intervening to send a signal to the market that they're not ready yet to basically tighten policy. And they are still in favor of keeping a loose policy to ensure that inflation gets a firmer foothold. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you this morning, Vasu. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me on the show as well. You're very welcome. We've been speaking with Vasu Menon, who is the Managing Director for Investment Strategy at OCBC Bank. Stay with Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.